Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. For too long, adoptees have not been the authors of our own stories. That's changing, and this month we're joining the discourse to be part of that change. Together with BIPOC adoptees, we are reclaiming our narratives by honing in on specific areas of the BIPOC adoptee experience that need to be amplified right now. This is a brave space for adoptees to share with the world what we know is needed both inside and outside our community. These are the BIPOC adoptee conversations. My guest today is a transracial Korean adoptee and the founder of BIPOC adoptees. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Liana Soifer to the show. Hey, Liana. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here on the show. A little background for folks um, listening or watching right now. Liana and I connected on Instagram through the BIPOC Adoptees account. And I know I given maybe the briefest guest introduction that I've have given on this show. So for folks that may not know who you are that are listening or watching right now, do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself and about the BIPOC Adoptees group in particular? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for having me today. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm Liana Soifer. Um and I'm the founder of BIPOC Adoptees. Um, I am a transracial Korean adoptee. And BIPOC Adoptees was really formed out of a conversation with another adoptee. Um, I've always known that um, I've needed to find community um, and finding it through various conversations with other adoptees growing up, um, growing into adulthood, have my own kids, uh, the journey of parenthood. Community has been uh, one of the most important things for uh, myself, my identity, but also in raising my kids. So BIPOC adoptees is really formed out of a conversation with another adoptee who I um, had met here in Portland. Um, and from there, BIPOC adoptees was born. And it was really formed out of just listening and chatting with other adult BIPOC adoptees and realizing that, you know, we we all share these two really um, important identities, which is being part of the BIPOC community, but also being an adoptee. Um, and then also having, you know, the nuanced differences of what we experience um, throughout our own lives. So uh, yeah, it was formed out of a conversation and a conversation that was safe and honest. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the forefront of this project is like when we can create spaces that feel safe to us, safe means different for everybody or a brave space that it allows you to kind of be open and share things about yourself. And that's where the that's where the heart is. You know, that's where all the, the meat is. Yes. A hundred percent. I really appreciate <laughs> you sharing all of that. And you're absolutely right. That is where the meat is. You know, that is where we find the most value a lot of times, I think, in the community. I'm thinking specifically about when I've attended other adoptee events and I've gotten a lot out of the panels, out of the sessions that are available, but where I've found the most robust community is in those side conversations when you're able to sit down and talk with it's not 30 people or 50 people it's one or two and you're able to sit down and have one of those conversations and i think it's just that's the beautiful thing about the community is that we come together to attend these different events and support each other and then we find our little pockets of people and we go and we build amazing things like you're doing with bipoc adoptees um before we dive into this conversation about what's missing around this experience from your perspective 
What came first for you? Were you already on your journey of identity when BIPOC adoptees came out of this conversation? Or is that something that's been happening concurrently with your own identity journey? Yeah, you know, um, my journey, uh, sort of my adoption journey really took place, I think, pivotal time for myself was uh, that journey of parenthood. Mm. And that my oldest kids are 11. I have two, uh, twins that are 11. My youngest is four. So that was, and then I went on a journey prior to that to have my own biological children, which was a couple of years before that. So it took a couple of years. Um, so it's been, it's been quite some time. Sure. Um, and I think that I'm always going to be on the journey. And I, I, I feel, I find myself in every conversation I have with somebody, I literally learn something new every time. Somebody's like, oh, that is a great way of framing that. Or, <laughs> oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And then it just fuels like, I, I just feel like I'm learning from every single adoptee that I meet. And so in that sense, yes, I've been on my journey. I've been reunificate, been been in reunification with my birth family. Um, but I would say that like, uh, this journey is a lifelong journey and I feel like it's, I'm just maybe just starting my journey in that sense, but it's been a while learning Absolutely. my own identity. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I feel like that's one of the milestone moments for a lot of folks in our community is that journey of parenthood. And I'm hopefully going to start that journey soon uh, with my own partner and thinking about, and then coming off my trip to Korea, thinking about this lack of history that I have within in relation to my own biological family and then thinking about, okay, I really feel myself wanting and needing to connect with someone biologically. And that's kind of where this has started. And this is for me coming a little bit later on my own identity journey, you know, about three years in of like really working on myself and then thinking about feet or maybe feeling that stronger connection. When you started your journey of parenthood, was it simply like a medical situation where it was like, oh, I want to know this information for my kids so I can take the best care of them that I can? Or was it something different that drove you into this direction where we're going now? Yeah, I mean, I think that ever since I was little, I always uh, wanted to be a mother. And that's mm. just something that I always, from when I was tiny, right? Yeah. Uh, that has been one of my missions in life have my own biological children and obviously as you get older you realize maybe why that's so important and obviously like having those mirrors um that was fr that's the desire right um so yeah it's always been something that one of those journeys that i'd always knew i'd explore amazing i think that's really important i think that's really amazing for you to name knowing that okay this is a journey that i'm gonna find myself on eventually even if it's not like oh, i'm gonna start it when i'm a kid because i'm thinking about oh i want to be a mom but really like notching in the back of your head, like, okay, this is something that I maybe really want to explore down the line. Whereas like someone like myself, in my experience, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm never going to talk about it. I'm never going to think about it. And then I suppress all of that. And then here I am finding <laughs> all these different kinds of things as I turn 30 and uh, really start to explore that. So it just shows to show the diversity and experience that we have in our communities, specifically even within our own ethnic communities, Korean adoptees, but how much more broadly we get in terms of what kinds of experiences are out there from the at-large adoptee community and specifically the BIPOC adoptee community. So yeah, let's, let's tarry no further and dive into the meat of this conversation. And the reason that we're having this series, I did a series back in May about the missing pieces of the Asian American conversation. 
And that was one of the reasons we connected was like, let's do something that really focuses on our adoptee experiences. And I think this is perfect coming into kind of the last quarter of the year to kick this off, because I do feel like we're riding a wave of momentum when it comes to visibility for our community. So for you and from your perspective, as someone especially who's navigated this journey of parenthood, who started an organization focused on BIPOC adoptee experiences, and who's been in this community for a little bit now, what do you feel like is a piece or pieces that are missing from this BIPOC adoptee conversation? So I'd say the pieces are race and the voices from adoptees, those in combination, right? The adoption Mm. narrative is still very much centered around uh, the adoptive parents, the adoptive agencies. um, And we're not having the conversations about the impacts of race and our daily life, just walking outside of our house and what kind of experiences we have versus a white person. Um, And so those together need to be talked about. Race, we need to talk about race. And, And talking about it from the perspective of the adoptees. So... BIPOC adoptees is all is all about centering being adoptee first. And that means centering conversations around the adoptee. The adoptee is sharing the experiences and not those by the adoptive parents or adoptive agencies. So those are the two pieces that I feel like we need to be, you know, addressing. And it's still just tabling up two events this last summer. Clearly. We need to be having those those kind of events where you have people coming to the table. Um, so we tabled at two events this past summer. And there were a lot of conversations that were had that were like, oh, gosh, education, more education is needed. More adopting voices are needed because the kind of questions we get are like very, you know, it's almost like teaching someone from square one the experience sure. of an adoptee. So those conversations need to be had. A hundred percent. And you're right. It it does feel like it's a square one conversation for our community specifically because we are trying to resist and push back and reclaim against this dominant narrative of adoption that has existed since the inception of the industry and the concept of adoption. And that's a lot of work because it's like ingrained in the fabric of our general consciousness that adoption is only one way, it is only ever positive, it makes a family, it saves a child, and everybody lives happily ever after. Except for like the maybe select few of people over here, the exceptions, you know, the the people that are ungrateful or angry or whatever. And in reality, it's much more nuanced, much more complicated than that, particularly when it comes to race. Because we're in this moment right now, we've probably been in this moment since the birth of this country, but we're in this moment of like really trying to reconcile, understand, and then dismantle white supremacy and white supremacy culture in our country. And adoptees, particularly transracial adoptees, find themselves in this like weird space of like our proximity to whiteness is literally we're right next to it. Whereas like families, immigrant families are at least one step removed, even if they grow up in a um, predominantly white space, we have no choice other than to be in that space. And so for you, you bring up both race and adoptive voices as being one of the most important things we should be focusing on. Were you always aware that those particular voices were missing from this conversation? Or when did you feel like you started to become aware that this was, you know, a thing that we're desperate to start hearing? So growing up, for sure, not. I was not aware. Completely. (laughs) I was not. 
<laughs> um, and I, yeah, grew up in Eugene, Oregon, which is very small and very white. Oregon's very white. But I would say that when I started my my journey in parenthood, that's kind of where it began. Because mm. when you st- when I started talking to other adoptees, that's where I started trying to find community. Because it's like, sure, uh, I needed to, my experiences as an adoptee raising my kids was very different than my friend, maybe who's not an adoptee. Sure. And so when I continue to have these conversations and meet new people and reach out to new networks, I was like, oh, we're all pretty much saying the same thing. And why isn't anything being done about it? And during mm. that time, there, you know, you could find resources, you could find them, but they're just like spread everywhere. You know, you don't know right. where to go. You don't, you don't even know how to find you really like, do you have even the terminology to look for the people, the community? And right. so, right. Like how do you even go online and search? And so, uh, when I started having these in-person conversations, uh, that's when it clicked. Um, and it was like, no, we need to do something about this. Um, I would say generally speaking, I feel like I, I, I do have a relationship with my adoptive family. Um, it has been rocky. Um, we've had to have, we've had to have really hard conversations. Um, and even sometimes these conversations that need to be had, maybe aren't even had with my entire family, but I generally have a, a good relationship with my family. I had an okay bringing up, like my parents were educated, my dad, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up, my mom was a psychologist, my dad had a PhD in education. And so even in that setting where I grew up, where we talked about things, went to therapy, um, even in the, like, maybe the best scenario, I don't even like to say that. Sure. But even me growing up, I'm like, no, this isn't right. Like, why am I still struggling with all these things? And why right. isn't, why, why can't I find ways to address them? And so that's where it started. I was like, I need to, we need to, <laughs> we need to find community. We need to build something. Um, and so even to this day, again, I still feel like we're constantly doing that regardless of like BIPOC adoptees existing. Right. Like every day is a grind. Every day is a new conversation. And that equals more growth towards the kind of impact we want to make. A hundred percent. I really appreciate you sharing that and giving us a little bit of that background context. I think it's very interesting that you grew up in a situation that could be from the outside viewed as the ideal situation to where you think you would be able to overcome whatever issues that we might be talking about. And even still, at a young age, you recognize that there was something off about that experience and it planted the seed for you to then do the work now that you're doing when you became a parent. And then as you ventured into the community further, you know, you had that seed planted there. I think that's very interesting. And again, something that we have to name in spaces like this. So that way other adoptees can be like, oh yeah, I was also had that off feeling and I just didn't know how how to articulate it. Didn't know where to look because for the most part, you're not receiving, your family is not even receiving resources or information about oh, there are adoptees that become adults and have done a lot of work about what it means to grow up as an adopted person in a similar situation to you. They're not even getting that information. And it's because that stuff only has existed for like 60 years, especially from like an Asian and intercountry perspective, not even to talk about black and indigenous children who were taken away from their families and displaced from their families growing up here in this country for over the last 600 years. Um it's all very interesting. And I think, again, it's just so important to be able to share things like this. 
And so with that in mind, I think one of the things that really drew me to your work with BIPOC adoptees specifically was the fact that you're a Korean adoptee leading this organization and you're not just focused on Korean or even Asian adoptees. You've really opened it up to this wider community that we are a part of, this larger fabric that we make up a small piece of. And I think that is so, so important because something that I've learned over my time in this community is that it's important for us to be able to recognize and specifically name our ethnic and racial communities that we come from. I think it's really important to be able to find community in those groups. And we have to be able to recognize that we are one part of a larger whole. And if we aren't willing to at least build empathy in the way that we want empathy built with us, with other people who are part of this larger community, you know, it's going to set, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for us to move forward and find and fight for the change that we want to fight for, because we have to be able to figure out ways to move in solidarity together. And so that's what I really like about BIPOC adoptees. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to move in that specific direction? Yeah. I mean, I can just say for myself, I don't want anybody speaking for me. I don't want somebody right. telling my story and and growing up in a white dominated um, space. I just know personally from my own experiences, the kind of racism I've experienced, um, the stereotypes that I've lived and manifested for so many years. I don't want that for the next generation. I don't want that for anyone, right? Like, because I've endured uh, my own pain. And with that, I'm like, this is why it's about the community, right? And that I'm just one sliver mm. of that community. And this is about making impact and bigger change. And yes, to your echoing to what you're saying is like, yes, one person can make change. But the more we can build together and the more voices we can represent and share, the stronger community we have, the stronger impact we make. So I'm happy to share my story and happy to be on this podcast, but I tend to be very like, I, I'm just going to be in the background over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I don't sure. want the focus just to be never just on me. Like I've got footage. I had um, a company I worked for. I had footage. Uh, this was years ago. This company I worked for, uh, we had a videographer go and travel back to Korea with me to be my birth mother. And the idea was to mm. create a documentary about me going back to my birth country, but more importantly about coming back and how I parent and then bringing in other parents and talking about that. And sure. I, that footage is just sitting and maybe one day I'll do something with it, but this is more important, which is building a community of all different voices in the BIPOC adoptee community. Did you always know it was going to be broadly BIPOC focused or did it start as being like Asian or Korean specific and then it grew into no, it was always going to be about a community of BIPOC. Okay. Um, but what happened is when we dove into the interviews last year, we interviewed 10 adult adoptees. Well, of course, predominantly all Asia because of where we're a math, right? Pacific right. Northwest and because the studio was here in Portland. And so we had to like, and it was sure. we're girly from the ground up. So we had uh, predominantly it was Asian voices. And, and that's always been a struggle since day one is like, how do we show representation and it wasn't good enough. And so there's things that we're doing as an organization to be more reflective of our, of our community. Mm. Um, but it's a tricky balance because it's also like we're not here to tokenize or right. uh, take someone's story. So I think the more we get more awareness and the more we get out there, 
the more people will come to our community. And that is what is happening. Like, right. it's amazing. It's just happening naturally. But <laughs> it's, a pro- it's, a, it's, a, it's a work in progress, you know? Yeah, well, I think if everybody just came there immediately, I mean, that would be amazing. And that would be incredible. <laughs> but again, it's like we are still building to this point of visibility where it's like it's common knowledge that it's like, oh, I can go out to and find this BIPOC.be event or just be part of this group. I can at least broach it and know that that's a safe space for me to operate. And then eventually it could turn into a brave space where I'm like, okay, I've learned enough and I've learned enough about myself and I'm ready to use my voice now. And I have this platform. And what you're doing is so important because we have to continue to build that. You know, we have a solid foundation of like everybody working in academia and all the adoptees who have come before us who have struggled and strove to get us to a point where we can sit on a podcast and have this kind of conversation and talk about this, where we can create a documentary focus series that leads to storytelling events that leads to bigger and better things for our community, visibility, active, actionable, tangible change. We still have to build up for that. So that way, the people who come after us in our community, wherever they may come from, whatever intersectional communities and identities that they might inhabit, they have that then that platform of being not only safe, but empowered to be brave and take it forward. So that's what what I really love about what you're doing. And I really appreciate that intentionality because I think sometimes because this journey is what it is. We can start generalizing really quickly because we want to belong. We want to be part of this group when we find it because it's like, I've never had anything like this before. And when we can maybe not slow down, but when we can take a step back, shift our perspective a little bit and realize, oh, if I'm intentional about what I want to do, not only for my own self, but then within the community itself, then we can really start to make that actionable, tangible change. So how do we as adoptees make sure that we are embodying that intentionality that you all are trying to embody right now to make sure that we are being mindful of all of our voices, all the different types of voices that make up our community? Well, I mean, you're doing it in the work that you're doing. (laughs) And I mean that, right? I mean, you are. Um, And it's the same thing with us is that we all come from a place of understanding. So when we come into a space, we're going to ask, is that comfortable for you? Uh, Does it feel okay? Or, you know, just Mm. even those simple questions that maybe an adoptee, a non-BIPOC adoptee may not ask. And so I feel like there's already this understanding when we come into the space, like, okay, hey, you get it. And also you're going to honor these things that um, maybe my past that have been like misused, right? Our stories have been Mm. like, mistold right and so just us having these experiences creating events by us for us Mm. is huge so huge right um so that i think that that's kind of at the core of what we're doing especially with our impact work and our docu-series we have many things going on but also creating space for like adoptees to come wherever they're at in their journey because like we know Mm. that some adoptees may come and they may be coming out of the fog if you use that term and resonate with that for people that are listening um or maybe there's someone who's already been in reunification with their family for like 20 years or maybe there's somebody in their 60s and they still want to find community they can do that with BIPOC adoptees that's the mission is that we meet every adoptee where they're at 
in order to engage and just like live life, like create fun events and then also have storytelling. And, um, but yeah, it's how do we care for each other, um, and support one another and celebrate us. Yes. Um, yeah. I absolutely love that. I love all of those things that you just said. I think meeting adoptees where they're at is such an important thing. We should internalize that as a whole community because, you know, it can be, it can be difficult when somebody doesn't think the same way that we do about this particular experience and we're trying to reconcile what that means for us. And then it's like, we take it, we can take it personally and it can be, it can be a messy, difficult situation and maybe it's supposed to be, but it doesn't always have to be. If we are doing, like you said, coming from a place of understanding, that's something that we've talked about on the show a lot, not even specific to adoptees, but just in general. Like if we are able to move towards listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond, then we have a chance to actually build that empathy that we all want for ourselves. We all want people not to say they fully understand and they get our experience, but to just listen and to be there and say, oh, that sucks, or oh, that's wild, I never knew, or just like, just to develop their own learning. And they can, in every attempt to understand, builds that foundational layer of empathy that we can then grow from. We don't need sympathy. We don't need fixing. We don't need your solution. What we we need is somebody to just hear us and hear this story, allow us to be able to share our experience. Because then, once we deal in the heaviness, which is so, so rooted in our community's individual experiences. Once we are able to voice some of these things, we are also able to then really lean into the joy and the celebratory aspects of each of us as humans, not even as adoptees. We can celebrate the individual and the groups that come out of it, the work that comes out of it, because that deserves to be celebrated. We deserve to lift each other up on pedestals and not idolize in that way, but to be like, that's amazing. How do we lift everybody up? And, you know, and we we do that with celebration. We do that by pointing out and naming joy and not always having to sit in the heaviness because we have to do that anyways. We don't have any choice but to sit in the heaviness. And so I love all of that. Yeah. I love the BIPOC Adoptee mission because it is so important for us as a community to be able to intentionally understand that if we can be operating from that place of understanding, then that can extend to the people outside of our community because we have to model that for them, unfortunately. We have to model what that looks like for people to empathize with us. We have to be able to empathize with each other. And yep. so that might be a solution or answer to this next question. And we've talked about it a little bit. And I think the missing piece is just recognizing that ethnicity, race, and adoptive voices have to be centered in this conversation. But do you have anything else for folks outside of our community to help them understand a little bit better how to address that particular part of this conversation? That's a great conversation or not conversation, but a great question. (laughs) I just um, like this last event that we tabled at, and I bring this up because the last event we tabled at, there were, um, it was like many times almost like having to have the conversation over and starting from square Mm. one, almost like starting at the base root level, like every single time somebody would come to our table, right? And then also like saying something. And then not really hearing it and like <laughs> repeating something that they heard, which is totally false. Right. And so right. Um, I'm just thinking maybe it's just taking a listening approach, a more empathetic approach mm. to the conversation, um, not 
kind of echoing what you're saying. No solutions, uh, just listening so that we can be validated and heard, you know? Yep. That's it. <laughs> I just like how I like I mean, danced around for like five minutes. And I mean, that, but that's at the end of the day, the simplest answer is, you know, generally the thing that we should be doing and focusing on. And in this, and it's, I'm not saying that to simplify this experience in any way. No, but it, it is, however, starts from a simple place of being like, I can listen and I don't have to have an answer loaded up for you. And also like we, you talked about it, you know, like the missing pieces that our voices are not centered in the conversation. I would even venture to say like, you have to come and decenter yourself which I think is really, really difficult for a lot of people. I mean, I'll even speak from experience of like when I first learning about this, it's really easy to be like the center of all the conversation around like social justice and everything that you see happening in society. It's like, well, this is how it's affecting me and me and me. And it's like, oh, I have to learn how to let that go because I'm not black. I don't understand what that's like. And like, I'm not the person that should be speaking and leading the conversation around state brutality against black people. Like why? What? Why am I? Why yeah. am I out here shouting and posting black squares and doing all of these things? Like that's not right. Like it's performative one, and it's not helping anybody other than putting on a mask and a performance for yourself. And two, it's because I'm centering myself in that conversation that I am not. I can be a part of, but is not my conversation to lead. And when we can understand and and, and learn how to decenter ourselves, like yeah. and for folks outside of our community, that's what we. That's another thing we need to happen in order to center BIPOC adoptee voices is we have to learn to do that decentering work. And it's really difficult. And I don't blame anybody for feeling like, oh, I don't I, I, I even taking it personally because we live in a society that teaches us to take everything personally in that way, because we it's all about the me and less about the we and we can move to the we we can start to understand and again, empathize with these experiences yeah. if we just listen. And and again, it starts with the simple act of just listening and yeah, listening to understand. Exactly. And it's sort of like all the things that we've all been taught. It's like it's reverse, right? Because it's always 100%. been the adoption narrative, right? The adopted parent for like talking about the experience. I mean, that has been ingrained in all of us as adoptees and our families for like, it still is. A hundred percent. So yeah, it's just, much like flipping that script like <laughs> uh yeah so liana i do want to thank you for coming on here and sharing so much and being willing to partner with me in conversation piece to have these conversations these five conversations about the bipoc adoptee experience and one of the best things about it is this all leads up into your next specific event a storytelling event that's happening september 24th september so it'll be 24th. on a sunday in portland and it's an all-day event from 11 to 9 and then, yes, the first part of the day will be BIPOC-only adoptee programming. So that is time-centered uh, around BIPOC adoptees from 11 to 3. And then from 3 to 4, we have uh, transition time. Um, and then from 4 to 9, it opens up to the broader adoptee community. So families, mm. advocates, allies, uh, general public can come in. And that's where we'll have Adoption Mosaic also partnering to do a, a panel as well about relationships. Um, mm. And so we've got some fun. And so there will be very heavy stuff storytelling. Uh, we're so excited for you to do a workshop um, at the event um, as well. Um, and then we will have some really fun. Uh, we're we're going to sprinkle in some like fun, just hang out activities as well. 
um, just being in community. And then we also will have second generation um, intergenerational adoptee programming. So like, for example, my kids are second gen adoptees. And so we'll have room for that so that those adoptees can get together. I have also some friends that are my same age that are second gen adoptees. So um, making space for um, all the intergenerational adoptee BIPOC adoptees. Uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. I, I'm, I've never been to Portland, so I'm super excited about Woo! that. I know multiple people out there who I'm really excited to meet in person for the first time. Yes. And as we move kind of to the close here, I think one of the best parts about BIPOC adoptees is that you've like continued to evolve and, and, and update and change what you are offering with and through this organization. Can you talk just a little bit about how these particular events came about? with what you've been working on. Yeah, so the projects first started out, uh, it was going to be a documentary. Um, Quickly learned we couldn't do that too much content, just way too much. (laughs) Uh, So docu-series, and then the goal is we want this docu-series to be an ongoing series sitting on a major uh, streaming platform. Um, So we're working on that, currently working on a GoFundMe for that. Um, And then... Uh, what came out of that was the impact work. And that's pretty typical of documentary work. There's the social justice piece. There's the impact work. So that was that formed out of uh, the docu-series. Um, and then really, it's been about making relationships here in Portland area with other adoptee uh, organizers, community organizers. Mm. And that is where the heart is, right? Like BIPOC right. Adoptees does not exist without its uh, team of adoptees who are dedicated to the same mission. Um, and that's why BIPOC Adoptees continues to move forward. And yes, now we're creating a nonprofit. So we're in the process of that for just our events. Uh, so mm. we have some really fun, uh, we're, we're already kind of looking at programming for next year. So keep an eye out for uh, some exciting events next year as well. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. That is super, super exciting. I'm really excited for it. I'm excited to... I'm honestly, I'm excited and I'm honored and privileged to be even a small part of this next event. That is huge for me. I just love to, (laughs) I'm playing, I feel like a small role in coming out and just being in community with folks, you know, in a different area than I've been, um, so far since starting this journey to meet a different group of adoptees who are out here doing the thing. And it's just really important. And an honor to be able to participate in things like this. And I just really am thankful to you, Liana, for reaching out and connecting with me originally just on Instagram about none of this. And then this just having to, this, these conversations having developed into something where we could form a partnership to do a series about our specific community, similarly to how BIPOC adoptees formed out of a conversation and how yes, yes. just the conversations lead to some really, really incredible things. So as we close this out, I have one question that is actually two questions. How do, <laughs> okay. how do we, how do we, how do we as an audience, how do we as viewership, how do we, anybody who's listening to this right now, how do we one support BIPOC adoptees and two, how do we support you specifically? I'm putting you on the spot like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Okay, so I'll answer number one first. Uh, to support BIPOC adoptees, awareness. Awareness, awareness, mm. and sharing. So uh, if you can share our work, uh, reach out to other adoptees, BIPOC adoptees that you know, um, that is the number one thing, just awareness. 
Um, we we will be releasing updates. Uh, we just went through a rebrand, so we will be uh, updating our website. But we have a GoFundMe re- uh, releasing soon, so that'll be coming mm. out. Fun, so uh, supporting um, support can look different in all different ways. So whether sure. it's donating or whether it's just a share or a like, those all mean everything to us. Um, and and then having those conversations. To your point, if 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 you listen to this podcast and you have a conversation with somebody that you have never had a conversation with or you've wanted to you just made impact so mm. to your point like if this podcast creates you know one conversation i'm like yes that's great that's impact <laughs> um, amazing okay uh secondly uh me if that's what you asked yep people just continue to show up for bipoc adoptees that that really supports uh that's so weird but that really does support where my heart is um so i at the core this is just who i am and i am all about i'm not satisfied until we don't have to have these conversations and i know that we always will have to so we're gonna keep grinding Mm. until we get there so i don't know just (laughs) send them out to you and say hello i love meeting new people that's like my to your point, it's just like having, I've met so many adoptees all around the world and uh, just meeting one-on-one has been really awesome. That's a way to support. That's absolutely a way to support. <laughs> <laughs> to your podcast point, conversation. Real, yes. real conversation. Support me by having real conversations with the people around you. Mm, I yeah. love that. That's a great, a great way to support somebody, I think. And I really yeah. appreciate that because it's very community care focused right there. And I do think there will be individual ways we can support you and we will figure them out because you deserve to be supported as well. And not just through the organization, but you need your rest. You need your time. You need the individual affirmations too, just like we all do. And we will find ways to support you in that way. I don't know okay. how we're going to do it yet, but we're going to make it happen. Okay. Um, well, Viana, thank you. Has, oh, yes. Ab- well, thank you. No, are we going to do a thank for, off? We are. And I also <laughs> just want to say that my pocket adoptees is all about partnerships as well. And so mm. you are, you know, everyone who's participating in this NUPS event is, is monumental. So, and I'm looking forward to this event and also future events as well. So um, yes, thank you for having, uh, having me and um, looking forward to meet you. Absolutely. Looking so looking forward to meeting you. Thank you for giving me the privilege and honor of your time, of part of your story, and of a bunch of wisdom and knowledge about not only how you formed this organization, but how you've had conversations in community and how we as adoptees can continue to have those conversations to build off of what you've been doing as well. So it is, again, an absolute honor to have had you on to partner with you, not only on this series, but on this next event and on future events. And it just means a lot to my heart and to my soul to be able to work with you and the entire team at BIPOC Adoptees to do things like this. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> you are. All right, here we go. I'm okay. ending the thank off with another thank you at the end of this, but really quickly for everybody out there listening right now, you can find links to everything that we just talked about here in the show notes. You can find ways to support Liana, to support BIPOC adoptees specifically right down here. So make sure you check out all of those things. We've got a bunch of new things coming. So make sure you're paying attention to all of the stuff 
and following all of those accounts to stay connected. If you want to follow us, you can do so on Instagram at Conversation Podpiece. If you do feel so inclined to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening or taking this in at, we would greatly appreciate that. And lastly, if you are interested in supporting the show in any way in the future, feel free to hop in our DMs or visit our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Liana.